Hi, sexy listeners. I'm Dr. Tammy. Welcome to The Trouble with Sex. Today, we have a really sexy guest I'm so excited to introduce you to, D. Edward Delmar. He's the author of three erotic gay novels called Thruplicity, and he's also an award-winning director of film and stage. He's a memoirist, a novelist, a humorist. He is going to talk to us today about bringing open relationships and all their complications out of the closet. I want to just share with you what one critic has said about his books and his series, Thruplicity. This critic says, author D. Edward Delmar uses sex the way Tarantino uses violence, glorious, explosive, reverent, and just as often chilling. We are supported by Dame Products. You've heard me say many times that pleasure is power, and our partners at Dame make products that are all about your pleasure. Making the world a happier place, one vagina at a time, Dame makes toys for sex that take solo and couple play to new heights. Check out dameproducts.com slash troublewithsex and get turned on by their innovative designs and modern engineering. For 15% off all your orders, use promo code Dr. Tammy, that's D-R-T-A-M-M-Y, at checkout. Again, that's Dame products.com slash trouble with sex promo code dr tammy and discover your favorite pleasure toy welcome edward i'm so glad you're here hey thanks thank you good to see you so excited to have you so you've written three gay erotic novels thus far well as someone who's read them I can say that they're very enticing and they're very intriguing and they're really, really hot. (laughs) And I'm not a gay man. I mean, they're really hot. I got a lot of good response from straight women. (laughs) Isn't that funny? I had one husband thank me, said his wife (laughs) read book number one, came upstairs, threw him down on the bed and said, let's go. Oh my God, that's so funny. Hey. It's very erotic and sexy, but there's also like a story. Like there's relationships here. Well, it is called... Thruplicity. So tell us what that means, thruplicity. Like, what's it about? Why'd you call it that? Oh, well, it's fun to coin words. And, of course, the way the world is changing, of course, duplicity is two people behaving in duplicitous manners. And, of course, this concentrates on a thruple in a slight polyamorous marriage. So they think they have one story to tell the married couple, but as the novels express in shifting points of view, there are three definite stories going on, and they are throuplicitous. One person doesn't know what the other one is doing, and the other one doesn't and does and doesn't. It's about communication and lack of communication. Very clever. It's very clever. So a thruple, for those of our listeners who might not know that term and know what it's about, can you just tell us a little bit about it? Well, a thruple, look, we always have three ways. There's always been the menage a trois. That's not uncommon. And wait, pe- wait, wait. We always have three ways? <laughs> oh, shit. Why do you think the French? <laughs> we why always you- have three ways. I don't know about your life, but I don't know. Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> my condolences. <laughs> but the French had menage a trois long before we were born. And I've heard lots of stories of people having three ways. But a thruple is different. A thruple is... A committed relationship of sorts among three people. Mm. And often, as in the case in this story, it is a married couple and the younger man who they've brought into their lives. So it's like an 
open monogamy. There's a central or primary relationship, yes. and then there's another partner. Yes. And the central relationship between the two married men who are older is extremely committed. There's no way this third person is going to break that up. And I think that I make that very clear in the writing. However, there are complications. Yeah. See, I think that's so interesting on so many levels. One is it's really about an open relationship, but the main couple is monogamous in that there's nothing that's going to break them up. Right. So it's a sexual partnership, but the fact that it's a thruple and not just a menage a trois or a threesome, I mean, there's an ongoing relationship there, right? Yes. And the strains of that relationship is in all married couples, there is a strain. We have to admit it. As much as they love each other, there is a strain and things are pulling apart. And there are many external pressures too. And also from a younger man entering into this. What does a 28-year-old no, compared to a 40-something-year-old. So in the book, I mean, the 28-year-old, like the third guy, is helping their marriage, but it's also putting strain on it. Yes, yes. Which is and there's a little bit of intrigue in there, I will admit. There's a little bit of a thriller element that still I haven't solved one whole part I have for the audience yet. Yeah, I mean, the, the good part of these books is that there's kind of a mystery in there, too. It's not mm -hmm. just all sex. Right. And there is something about like open relationships and the complications of that, that I think straight couples are just figuring out when maybe gay men have known this for a long time. I mean, am I wrong? Am I, am I being sexist? Is, is that cliche? No, I think that's a standard understanding. It wasn't my reality as I was growing up in the gay world, but also think that I grew up in the age of AIDS. So it was a much different world. And having been with my spouse for over 20 years, it wasn't something we immediately did or started or even understood. I think that's something you grow to understand. And if your relationship is strong and you look at the opportunities outside, if you're in good communication and if you're willing, you discuss and sometimes you turn a fantasy into a reality. Yeah, and if you have a good agreement and you can discuss and communicate stuff. It's amazing what you can create in this book. It's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And yet one of the first words in the book is taboo mm -hmm. because one of the partners who's lying in bed a little unsatisfied sneaks up to the upstairs guest room where their little boyfriend is sleeping and they have sex, knowing full well that's not exactly the communication that they've had over this event. So it's not exactly in their agreement. It's, it's not up. exactly. I don't think either one would be surprised. In fact, that's the whole point of the first book. They're both doing a little dalliance on the side. But because it's among those three, I think both assume a level of acceptance. So that's interesting. So they're pushing the edge even among the agreement within that thruple. Yes. I mean, there's so much more room for experiment <laughs> when there's three of them. Yeah. A lot of opportunities. And I think that, and this is a developing relationship over the course of the three books, the, the complications arise, they get more, more difficult to unstring. But also, the central location between the married couple stays strong. So I even think understanding the different problems they're dealing with, let's take Richard, for example, is uh, the waspy one of the couple. It's a wasp and a Jew. Doesn't everybody love that? Since mad about you, you know? So Richard is thinking about it a one way, while his partner, Adam, I've been very careful to talk about, is a survivor of prostate cancer. So there are complications within their structure and their biology. 
Well, this sounds like really close to what happens in real life. And you know our our listeners are going to want to know, like, how does this really reflect your own life? Is this based on reality at home? Or where did you get this idea for these stories? How do you and your husband deal with sex, open relationships? It's funny because I wouldn't say we have an open relationship, but when, of course, we do to a certain extent. But we are, what are they saying, gay couples only play together. I think basically we're in that world. And my point about, and I I actually wrote an article the other day about So You Want to Write Gay Erotica, and one of my pieces of advice to anybody doing it is bring it close to your life. Bring in the details of your life so we'll have resonance. Of course, my characters are wealthier and more (laughs) handsome and younger and muscled. I mean, you want a little Hollywood. handsome. Well, thanks. But you want the Hollywood spin, don't you? But it, it does exist, and it I have to say the interweaving of this type of relationship is sometimes because I'm a dramatist, because I come from a world of theater, I can always imagine 16 different scenarios to go with every incident we have and every crossroads. So yes, there are moments where it intersects, but there are just as many moments where it shoots off into really dynamic, strange places. So it's kind of a springboard of your from your life. Yes. And real life situations, but you've taken it in a lot of different directions. Oh, yeah. And what I had fun with doing as the books open, each one progresses. The type of open relationship gets more and more extreme. And actually in book three, the best friend, the female best friend of the couple, now she's involved in it and she's getting her own little exploration of what Triplicity might be. Well, do you have any advice for people about how, like, how to navigate all this? I mean, you're in many ways an expert at this. You know, I'm an expert in some ways from a clinical perspective, having read all and written all the books and, you know, worked with all the couples, but you're coming at it from a different perspective. You're, you've been living it, you've been together with your husband for over 20 years, you've been navigating these open relationships, and you've been exploring this world from a fictional perspective as well? Like, what what would you tell our listeners? Any advice? Well, first of all, writing is a way of making sense out of all the strange things that happen in life. And also, I would say that we did not have an open relationship by any stretch of the imagination for the over the first half of our time together. So for the first 10 years, Re- really? Really more than that, um, because it has been over 20 years. But it started, as as most people say, it starts as fantasy. And... Fortunately, I have a best friend who's a tremendously talented and innovative sex therapist who was always there to talk to me and talk to me about how you could take fantasy into reality. But the first step is talking, Mm. imagining the what if. It's when you write a story, you say what if. So doing this sort of thing has to start with the imagination, with the what if. And then the big question of at what point do we bring this into our reality And at what point do we continue to explore along those lines? But it's all based, and I would say for us, it's not a huge thing. It's, you know, we're not running into large group parties all the time as much as one would like. It really is, it starts with communication. Mm. And you really make sure you're both in agreement, or at least I would say if not total agreement, understanding and acceptance. Mm. Yeah, I like all that. So you start with fantasy and then a conversation about, like, what if? I love the what if question. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's, that's how I write everything. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a great title for a book. 
Mm. And then, you know, communication. And even if you don't totally agree, an understanding of each other. Right. And and really, we have to, we have, to have a seal of approval. Mm. And because we are different human beings and we are flawed and we, are, we have jealousies, we have envy, there are moments where you have to stop and step back. And the first and foremost in, in our case is taking care of each other. Always, always checking in. You know, people always think that if you're in an open relationship, there's no jealousy. Like somehow you're more advanced than other human beings. And, you know, I wonder if, do you think that's the biggest like trouble with sex today that people are jealous or envious? What do you think is the biggest trouble with sex? And then we can answer the jealousy question. (laughs) Well, now that I'm at this ripe age of over 50, no comment. (laughs) um, I think part of the thing is I always wish when I was a kid, Coming out into the world, of course, it was a hotbed. Everything was crazy. The AIDS was out there. It was the gay plague. You were terrible. It was, you know, an act of God coming after you. So you're terrified. And you start from that point. And relationships start from that point. And I was starting to date my husband, who came from, just a few years older, came from the world where they were having sex with their professors in college. Where sex was just another way of saying hello. I didn't get to be born into that world. I think we're closer to that now, although I still don't think you should have sex with your professor. I don't think that is really a good idea for so many reasons. But I do think that the trouble that we have with sex is sometimes it is a little bit like calisthenics. We just need to do it. It is an exercise. And unfortunately, it's very hard to separate that from the personal attachment. Once upon a time, I think the gay people were able to do that Maybe they're moving toward that. Maybe the world is moving toward that. I don't know. So wait, so we just need to have sex like it's exercise? Sometimes. I mean, calisthenics is an old word. I don't even know what that means. So Oh, yeah. So calisthenics is like reminds me of like the 70s or something. Touchdown like, every morning. Like Farrah Fawcett in her bodysuit and leg yes. warmers. Yes, leg warmers. <laughs> Bring back leg warmers. I like leg warmers. So the idea that you should have sex because it's good for you. Well, it's not just that. It's just if it weren't so fraught mm. with the psychological snares and, and, you know, cat's cradles of misunderstandings and jealousies. And if it were sometimes just something we'd be able to just do the way you would go out and have a cup of tea with your friends, going back to my partner's original thing. Sometimes it's a way of saying hello. Maybe a little bit of that is a good idea. Maybe not hello. Wait, you think we should have sex like we have tea with other people? I think sometimes. Wouldn't it be nice? Wow. That's totally mind I'm not saying I do. I'm no, just saying, I'm just wouldn't it be nice? I'm just my mind around like tea and sex. So first of all, I have so many things I want to say. One is that we're in this weird time now with coronavirus, COVID-19, and being contagious and social distancing. And do you think that's going to change everything again like are you gonna are you gonna change the way you have sex with people are open relationships gonna change well it's not as if there's another person in our bed every other night or week or month so that's for you you guys personally that's personally but i do think that probably there will be a caution Mm -hmm. involved in all of this Uh, paul rudnick who was a great writer wrote a play called jeffrey and it Mm -hmm. was right at the cusp of the aids thing and it it opens with a character and a full body condom (laughs) and Hey, I think maybe it might be fine to walk around the world with a full body condom right now. What's going to happen? Like, I mean, there's a big continuum there. Like, have sex like you're having a cup of tea versus 
full body condom. Like, I know. It's got to be something in the middle. I know. What is it? I don't know. I think that's your job to figure that one out. I'm going to have to. I mean, maybe that's the trouble with sex, like figuring that out. Right. And, you know, maybe we just don't know yet. Get down to it. The trouble with sex is it's so complicated. It's complicated. It's just, it's a puzzle that will never ever solve completely. And that's why you have to be very honest and you have to be, it's an individual choice of how one approaches it. And there's so much shame attached to it and there's so much judgment and there is so much worry and self-judgment too, that that's the trouble with sex is it's just filled with lots of complicated little, it's like a bowl full of fish hooks. Oh God, that doesn't (laughs) sound sexy at all. That's so unsexy. What I heard you say also is that there's so much shame around it and that one of the things that you think is an answer to that is honesty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that that's also at the basis of how you manage your own open relationship is the communication, the understanding, the seal of approval. At its base, all of that has that one thing in common is honesty. All honesty. And and I think, as you pointed out, I think it was your last book, it's integrity. It's integrity of your word. But I think that is human beings, if we can always keep that, if we can prize that above all else, I think we'd be very fortunate. If we would look at integrity the way we look at money or success or any of those other things, integrity above all else. I think integrity, honesty, all that stuff really goes together. I really like that idea. I still can't get the the ball of fish hooks out of my mind. Well, think about it. Think about how, it, you know, when you, if you reach into a bowl of fish hooks, this is somebody else's I, I've image. I've never done that, but of yeah, course, I can but imagine, imagine it. Mm-hmm. If you would reach into a bowl, reach into a bowl of paper clips, can you just get one out of there? That's what going into your psyche about sex is like. You just reach in and oops, this one is attached to this uh, one. This is it's stuck more in about your pinky. The attachment. Yes, and the you're trying to grab in. You don't ever just get one fish hook. You get a lot of fish hooks. I was hooks. just thinking that you reached in and they all stuck in you because I had a fish hook once that went right through my finger and I had to go to the emergency room and it couldn't. You couldn't pull it out and it wouldn't push through. So I'm thinking. All of those just stuck in you, and you can never get them out. Which maybe is the same, you know, the it's same thing we were talking about. A little bit of the same, but it's it's a vicious image. But it, I think it has its parallel. Never having sex again. <laughs> can I quote you on that? <laughs> what have been some of the pitfalls of an open relationship? Again, we were together for so long before we even ventured toward this. I think sometimes it's a matter of libido mm-hmm. and uh, dueling libidos. So different levels of libido, like different Different levels. I always joke that my husband's ever so much older than I am, which he's really not, but it's fun to say. How many years is he? Three or four, depending on where you are in the time. That's not a big difference. Ever so much different. But there's varying libidos in different times, and I think... uh, I'm still convinced I'm only 18. Mm. So so you still have the libido of an 18-year-old? Yeah. Yeah, because also I didn't have the wild period that everybody else seemed to have. You're making up for now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish I could more. But yeah. I mean, this is it. This is the wild period. And the wild period comes with a devoted relationship. So because you have this base of this devoted relationship, it allows you to... To explore your fish hooks. And just because I want to run and get a handful of fish hooks, it doesn't mean I do. The libido wants lots of fish hooks. Okay, we got to come up with something else. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Trouble with Sex team and our partners at Dame want you to know we've got your back. We're living in really stressful times and self-care has never been more important. 
Make sure you're carving out time to take care of you. This can mean self-pleasuring, masturbation. Those are great ways to decrease feelings of loneliness, anxiety, and it can even relieve depression. For more help exploring solo play, you can visit dameproducts.com slash trouble with sex. We're talking about open relationships, and I wanted to be clear that an open relationship is not necessarily just three people. It can be more than three people. It can be something that you mentioned earlier, Edward, you know, just having sex when you're together with your partner with other people. It can mean going to sex parties. Open is defined by the word open, really. But again, that's always, that's that word. That word is freighted open. Because if you would ask us, if you would ask Adam and me, you would would say, is it open? I guess so. But on whose terms is it open? I think because when you hear open, especially in gay circles, in gay circles, open means, oh, I can sleep with whoever I want, whenever I want. We have that understanding. Mm, Wherever I want. Exactly. And that is not the case. That is not us. And it never would be. So when I hear that word Open in in gay circles, it is a really freighted word. Yeah, it's like swinging. Yeah, like swinging for you heteros. <laughs> it's like keep are they swingers? <laughs> they swingers. I don't even know if we use that term anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So before the break, we were talking about you know the complications of sex and intimacy and how that's changed for you over the years, and you know that sex you know maybe should be or used to be like just saying hello and. But it's changed, like you said, like now you're married, it's more of an open monogamy, it's it's more closely defined, you've been in uh, throuples. Like, what is it for you today? It sounds like there's a lot of things you'd like to do, but you have a complicated libido, maybe a mismatch. Like, what's going on for you around intimacy in your life? Sexual intimacy is, again, it, it's, it has its complications. Uh, again, we do have right now for... Um, very distinct biological reasons. We do have mismatched libidos and our wants and desires are different. I mean, I don't know what, there's probably statistics, you probably have them on the male libido of how many times we think about sex, but, um, oh, I just had 20 of them right now as I was talking to you. Whereas I know that's not the case with my partner. And But intimacy on an affectionate level is never changed. It has never changed. It's never lessened. And sometimes it's even stronger, I think. But on the sexual side, things are mismatched at times. And it leads to frustration. And if we could just say, oh, hello, we'd be fine. I I want to say that that saying comes from like 1978. It was a different (laughs) world. I did not know that world. So let's just go back to your books for a second. How did you know that you wanted to write erotic gay novels? Was it a way to, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but what was it that you just woke up one day and said, oh my God, I got to write down my love life. I got to, because it's so hot or (laughs) I got to get this out of my system. Or was it a way to express your libido? Like you have this really sexual part of yourself. I think, I think the latter. And I think it was a way of me handling the mismatch libido thing. I could plow a lot of things. (laughs) So to speak. So to speak. That verb is a good one, though. I I really do think it was way, and also it was kind of done on a dare. said, could you do this? I'm always writing other things, and I come from a world of theater and film and that world. So this idea of, of writing, it was just a little bit funny, and it was a different way of 
expressing some things that maybe we can't always bring into discussion in your normal living room. And of course, this isn't for everyone's living room. But it was a way of dealing with it. My living room was great. It it was kind of done as a challenge, too. And I thought it was fun. And so each of the books is under the the series name Throuplicity, but you have different titles. The first one's Say Uncle, the second one's Kissing Cousins, the third one is All in the Family. So it implies like there's, you know, a little family stuff going on there. Is that what's going on there? Well, I think it's the family of men, Okay, he said in a way that avoids answering that question. No, actually, um, the, the say uncle is actually comes from the first one. And it comes from any gay man of a certain age when somebody says, oh, daddy. And it just burns through most of us. You don't it's like, like daddy oh, thing? God. I don't, well, first of all, I never wanted to be a daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, kids. But to be called daddy is, first of all, it's presumptuous. Don't call me daddy. So the joke is, like, say uncle. Oh, so you don't want to be anybody's daddy? Yeah, I don't in want to be. In a sexual a, way, nor Yeah, I don't want to be daddy. Way. I have problems with daddies anyway. God knows. I have enough daddy issues of my own to be one myself. It's not something I want. So also, it's kind of a joke. Say uncle. Just say uncle. And of course, the you know, say uncle, I've had enough. And that moves into kissing cousins because what's happening in this little open monogamy thing is people are starting to interconnect. Each one, each complication, each new person who comes in and dates somebody else goes crazier and crazier until book three when we have major, when I say kissing cousins, it's not relations. It's It's not incest. No, no. It's just this person knows this person knows this person because the gay world is a little bit smaller than the heterosexual world. And the chances are, if you're in a town, a community, if uh, you check, there you know, six degrees of separation, probably four, maybe three degrees of separation in many cases. Especially if you live in a small town or a state, everyone does kind of know each other. Oh, yeah. 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 This state is a small town. And when I think I was living in Brooklyn, there were more people living in Brooklyn than the entire state of Connecticut. (laughs) Do you realize that? (laughs) That's crazy. So, you know, and it's interesting, too, because me personally being bi-coastal, so I'll go to L.A. and then come back to Connecticut. And there's differences in the way that people talk about their sexuality, treat their sexuality, treat their relationships. I don't know if it's an East-West Coast thing or a sunshine, dark, cloudy thing. I'm not quite sure. (laughs) But I'm sure you've noticed the difference between, you know, being in the city and being in the country. Of course it's different. I mean, if if I grew up near Pittsburgh and it's so parochial there compared to here. You know, we're Yankees here in Connecticut. We we do things a certain way, we look at certain ways and we judge a lot. <laughs> we think the people in California are crazy. I don't. And of course not, you're bicoastal. The the point is that uh, California, maybe it is the sunshine, but maybe it's also because you have a real heavy concentration of creative, imaginative people. And Mm -hmm. let's face it, they're all hot. People in California, they're all, you know, California girls, I wish they all could be. New York has it. New York has that funky way about sex. New York has that a little bit down and dirty, like the house of yes, you know, aren't we cool? Aren't we hip? It's not about how we dress. It's about who we are. Well, it's also how they dress. And we're (laughs) countercultural. We're a little bit. Whereas I think that California really is Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Like, ooh, look at us. We're going out here. And it's a little, it's framed differently. Yeah, that's sort of the land of the hippies too, like Northern California. They were all doing the hippie thing a long time ago. They were open and doing it in the hot 
hot tub years ago. And so all their kids now yeah. are more open and fluid and poly. And, you know, that's where the whole poly thing started and com- the idea of compersion, which is a word that they made up in California. I have no idea what that means. Compersion is the opposite of jealousy. So it's when you're happy to see your partner with someone else if they're when they're happy. And it, it's a kind of like a turn on word because there's really no word in our language for the opposite of jealousy. Compersion, I'm going to remember that. There is something hot about that. There really is. And it's not cuckolding. I think that, I hate that word, cuckolding. is probably an ancient word. It's an ancient word, but it's been adopted and it's used and I don't like that. But compersion is interesting, finding it hot. Mm -hmm. Finding it, but also finding joy in in your partner's joy. I, I think that's good. I mean, you'd have to tell me, do you think that in California, the heterosexual world is opening up a little bit more the way the gay world traditionally and stereotypically has been. I think the whole country is opening up more in the way that the gay culture has traditionally sort of led the way. I think California is a little ahead of the curve, but not all of California. I mean, California's huge. Um, but people are more, certainly more open and connected in places where they've traditionally been more opening and um, ahead of the curve. Right. We're not talking Fresno. (laughs) I mean, I don't know all of California, (laughs) but I do know that, you know, where where people are are more hip and cool, they're more hip and cool about relationships. Yeah, I think so. I think there's so many taboos, and I think we're going to have to get rid of a whole generation of people. And I think because— What do you mean? Wait, we're going to have to get rid of a whole generation of people? That that did not come out right. It didn't come out the way I meant it. But we're a thinking, the thinking of a really traditionalist way of what a relationship is. And that, and I think you speak about this in your books, when we start acknowledging the fact that we live longer, we're married longer, that maybe a commitment that we make has to be renewed on a regular basis. I know that's true about us. I know that's true about so many people. There are no assumptions. And maybe if the whole world could look at that, and say, why Why am I holding this? Where does this come from? And the shame, the deep shame, that's the one. We have to be able to lift that shame. You know, what do the Scientologists say? It's the Thetans that are attached to all of us. And the, I, I have no idea what that is, and I don't know what the Thetans are. Well, you're talking California, so I had to bring it up. <laughs> I don't know what the Thetans are. Thetans, they're the little idea that uh, we all have these little beings that are attached to us. And, and I think of them as shame, you know, little remora against uh, around the sharks that they attach to us, that shame that we wear, we run around with it. And, oh, that's mom. Oh, that's grandma over here. That's dad who didn't like this. And, you know, when we walk around life wearing those. Mm-hmm. And I think until we can openly talk about where that came from, I think we'll repeat this cycle over and over again. Yeah. Well, that's such a good metaphor for therapy. So, Edward, we have a question from one of our listeners. Joel from Cleveland asks, when you've been in a committed relationship for as long as you have, Edward, how do you manage the third person's feelings? That's actually a very good question. Thank you, Joel. I grew up not far from you and saw the Cleveland Indians play many a time. Um, (laughs) First of all, opening up your relationship the way we did was really like dipping your toe in the water. It wasn't all at once this big thing was happening. I think it started with a massage. A massage for the third person. Yeah, among the three of us. And I think early on, my husband and I made a decision that we will always honor the other person, knowing that they're coming into something like this. To, to, we always said, we always leave them smiling. 
whatever it is. You we, and your husband are the third person. The third person. We. It's very important to us to honor that person to make sure they're having a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband and I check in with each other constantly, whether it's in front of that other person or separately, and sometimes it's separately, and sometimes it's there, but we're always checking. And we check in with the third person, is this okay? Are we all right here? Is this going to be okay? It, it is a constant, uh, but we're caretakers. I mean, if you come to our house, we can give you tea and cookies and everything. So it's no different in that you honor your guests. Mm-hmm. And this is a guest. Mm-hmm. When it comes into an ongoing, regular, repeated relationship, of course, there are complications there because feelings start to be attached to what's happening. So, but I think the thing is take care of everyone. Mm-hmm. Communicate openly with everyone. Mm-hmm. Assume nothing. Yeah, so you really manage the relationship just like you would manage anybody coming into your home, but they're coming into your relationship. Right, Mm -hmm. right. I mean, just think how many people who come to your house and and you just don't want them back again either. They're not the type (laughs) of people you want to know. That happens. and But also there are people like, boy, I really like him, her, that person, this couple. Let's let's just really see where this friendship goes. A lot of time it is friendship of a sort. And you don't just let people in to run rampant in your house and, oh God, no. you know, oh God, no. wreak havoc. And, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, watch the walls. <laughs> Get your hands <laughs> They're off. They're drinking the good scotch. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. No, it, it, we are caretakers, though. And I think that's important to yeah. be a caretaker. And to take care of that. Mm-hmm. What about if they feel left out or they start to put pressure on you to want more than you can give? Well, that's a discussion, isn't it? Look. We don't have more to give or we can't. It's come up. And I'm sorry you're feeling this way. I really do. That must be a difficult position for you to be in. However, this is the reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I tend to be a very empathetic person so I can put myself in this person's position and feel with them. And I know sometimes it hurts and it's complicated and their wants and desires. Look, I got a great marriage. I, I can't. I can't hide that fact. We're inviting you in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the term open marriage might be more applicable. We open our marriage to embrace you. Mm-hmm. That's how I would say it mm-hmm. is our form of an open relationship. So in the polyamory world, they talk about unicorn hunters. And it's probably not as common a term for gay men. It's probably more of a term when they look for a third woman, like mm-hmm, a female, mm-hmm, yeah. that won't interrupt their primary partnership, right. but they're really just using for sex. And um, there's a lot of like hard feelings about that. Oh, right. I, I While I was researching these books, uh-huh. because really I'm not a polyamorous, but I was researching and getting onto boards and those chat rooms, talking to people in the polyamory community, and I was told uh, I was uh, monogamist-centric. You know how you're scolded right away? They're so good at, at scolding you for whatever question. Oh, well, you come from a place of, of marriage privilege. But while I was researching it, it did come up. And and it does come up uh, now in the gay world. Now it's but look, we ha- we have scruff, we have grinder. It, it, you know, we have Facebook with with full frontal, basically. <laughs> so <laughs> you can find these things. It's not hard. It's not hard. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a different world. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's much more uh, clear and honest and direct about what you're looking for, so that people don't feel like they're they were misrepresented when they're go to be with someone. Oh, trust me. I remember being in Provincetown and somebody taking a shine to my husband and just hitting on him, hitting on him, but basically saying, I don't want you. And I was just a smart ass saying, really? Well, that's what you're going to get. 
because <laughs> I'm here for the I'm here for the duration. You're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's very clear. I'm sure it's very flattering to be the person to receive that kind of attention. And I'm sure when you're in a throuple situation, the third person I hope feel flattered. Mm-hmm. I hope. Edward, can you give our listeners one piece of advice, something that in your experience might help them in their trouble with sex or in their relationships? Bring each other into your fantasy. And that's very important. Share your fantasies with your partner mm. and make it alive. Make it alive for both of you. And it, it's it's like improv. It's not and no, it's and yes. Mm. And build on each other and you'll have fun. It's a game. It, it, make it fun. It's, it's not about, oh, we're going to open up the door. The floodgates are coming in. Here come the crowds. No, it's not that. It's just, <laughs> here come the crowds. Here come the crowds. No, it's really just invite each other in to your fantasy world. Nice. I love that. So share your fantasy, invite each other in. And I want to invite all my listeners to go to throughplicity.com. That's T-H-R-U-P-L-I-C-I-T-Y.com to read D. Edward Delmar's books, the Throughplicity series. There's Say Uncle, Kissing Cousins, and All in the Family. If you want some good erotica, You got to read these books. Thank you, Edward, so much for being with us today. You're very welcome. So fun to have you. And I just have adored talking to you. So magnificent. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. This episode was brought to you by Dame Products. To find out more, go to thetroublewithsex.com or email me at drtammy at thetroublewithsex.com. Join our mailing list follow us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, or send me a question. The Trouble with Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is by Flavor Lab New York City. This episode was recorded on location by Bruce Hirschfield and mixed by Eric Stern with music by Bruce Hirschfield. Bruce Hirschfield.